So officially recording. This is the first time I've recorded things on Zoom. So welcome to the Inclusive Activist Podcast. I'm very excited to have my friends from Indigenous Vision here today. Uh, I've got Suta calling last and Tyler Walls. Um, and today we're going to be talking about colonization um, and unpacking colonization and what is colonization and how does it work and how does it hurt us? How have we been enculturated in colonization and what ways uh, does that hurt general people and how does that hurt uh, us as individuals. Um, but I would be remiss if we didn't first kind of just one, allow each other to introduce ourselves in our own words. Um, and then uh, after we introduce ourselves, I think it's really important that we all kind of take a second to check in with what happened at the Capitol um, two days ago, because that was personally very traumatic for me. And I've been on kind of a social media radio silence with that. And this is the first time I'm really emerging to speak about those things. Um, but we'll start with introductions. My audience already knows me, so I don't need to talk to uh, about myself a little bit more. Um, let's start with Suta, if you wouldn't mind uh, introducing yourself. Yes, thank you um, for having me. It's such an honor to be on um, Inclusive Activism Podcast. Um, yeah, so my name's Suta Calling Last. Hello, everybody. I am Blackfeet and blood. I hail from the Montana and the Alberta prairies, and I am currently on Salish territory in Missoula, Montana. But if I peek out my window, I can see my own. So it's not too far. Glad to Any other thing that you want to tell us so like they kind of get to know you and your background? <laughs> yeah, that's important. Um, Melissa is an excellent editor on our, our podcast. <laughs> so, uh, my background is in environmental uh, sciences, and so I'm trained as a water resource specialist. My um, specialty in that is mining contamination and cleanup, and uh, that's really guided um, what I call the foundation project of Indigenous Vision, which is the uh, environmental justice and social justice mapping project. And uh, yeah, check it out, indigenousvision.org, IV Maps. Yeah, CEO of uh, 501c3 nonprofit woman, indigenous CEO. Like there's probably like seven in the world. Um, and here's one of them. Really excited to have her with us here today. Uh, Tyler, would you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to us? Yes, of course. Uh, Loloma, hello. Um, it's good to be here, everybody. I am happy to kick off 2021 with you, Rowdy, and, and Suta, and all your guests here that are listening. I am Tyler Walls. I grew up in central Arizona in the Verde Valley. I am a graduate of the American Indian Studies program at Arizona State University. And so I got a lot of great foundation from my professors there. Um, I myself grew up off the reservation, third generation. My grandma and my grandfather were the ones who were originally removed through the boarding school process in, in the 50s. And then in the 60s, they were relocated on BIA assignment, BIA being the Bureau of Indian Affairs. I um, am project director for Indigenous Vision and also culture humility training. And we unpack 
but quite a lot with culture humility. And it's what we do. And I think throughout today's discussion, we'll be sprinkling that in. Um, I'm Hopi and I'm also Onondaga. And I'm even more greater dynamic than that. My father's white. And so I bring this uh, by um, racial understanding of, of who I am as an identity um, mixed race person and uh, still very much learning about uh, colonization. And I look forward to offering insight, but more so for us to wrap our heads around it collectively and moving forward for all of us to come to understand it because it's it's a complicated beast. Absolutely. And speaking of colonization and the harmful effects of colonization, I think there's no greater example of the harm that can happen with colonization than what happened on December 6th. And like I said, personally, I found that to be something that was really traumatic um, and just hard to watch and hard to see um, given, you know, because locally I try to support Black Lives Matter as much with stuff. Um, as you both know, uh, indigenous people are actually the racial group killed most often at the highest rate. Um, and seeing the lack of response, um, the complicity of police officers, like removing barriers, taking selfies with people. Um, I wanted to just check in and get reflections from you both. Like, how are you? Because um, I think we'd be non-Indigenous not to check on, you know, my aunties and uncles in this moment. Either you want to go first? Tyler, I feel like I've, I've got to process it, um, being able to speak with Melissa, uh, we were on the phone with each other right away and and um just kind of we thought that it wasn't it wasn't that shocking what was shocking was the continued proof that it's not things are not equal um and it's so blatant and uh so we it's it's expected you know you can't um go through violent colonization practices and you can't implement discriminatory racist policies without some sort of backlash. And, um, and, that, and I don't, I think the people at the Capitol yesterday were not the right kind of backlash. <laughs> we, we kind of, um, you know, she says she, she falls back on, on, um, self-care and uh, personal empowerment. I fall back on culture and teachings that, um, you know, all of us are at our own place in development. And, uh, and that's like maybe, you know, the soul, if you believe in that, um, um, our emotional intelligence is all, we're, we're all growing at different paces. And I, <laughs> I feel like that that's the only way. And I'm still trying to take that same teaching of of being accepting of different people's growth cycles. Um, but there's still a point where, where your, your stupidity hurts other people. <laughs> so it's, and it's very hurtful right now. Um, and I think it's all bubbled to the surface. And I think it's a great display of what indigenous people, um, you know, the opposite there, there were the only 15 arrests, you know, just, 
Just this morning, um, Wet Sweatin popped up on my timeline. I shared uh, their pipeline blockade in, in BC and um, there were 15 arrests just on on um, one day and there were only 20 people, 25 people in the crowd. So they arrested more than half the people that showed up at that protest to protect drinking water. Um, yeah, so Tyler. <laughs> yeah. This is awesome because I I'm don't think I'm still shaking that, my head. I'm still, yeah. Yeah, I've never, ex- I haven't externally processed it with other folks yet. You know, I've internalized it. I like to think I under understand what the heck's going on. Um, that it was, it was, it was coming. You know, especially when when they're when the leader of that um, group of people is calling on that particular crowd to do that, it's scary. And um, I've been to the Capitol many times, you know, a handful of times. I've been in the halls of Congress, both Senate and House of Representatives. And how the heck they got through that security checkpoint is beyond me because it's heavily guarded. I mean, it's a fortress. It's a fortified buildings that prevent people from going in with, you know, uh, heavy militarized police. And for only one person to get um, killed, uh, I think it was four. Um, and, and of course, we don't want any lives lost, but understanding if you're going to do that, the situation presents itself for somebody to get hurt. How others didn't get hurt is beyond me and how they were able to go into the halls, the Senate floor, and act foolish, you know, because I do believe in the sacredness of democracy. Being a Haudenosaunee, Onondaga person, democracy is, is deeply rooted in the values of who I am individually, not just part of me as a, as the nation of Onondaga, me so much as a descendant of the treaty uh, 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 ancestors who signed the 1794 Treaty of Ganandaga, right? And, and so the democracy standpoint of how that was allowed is, is, is beyond me. But I think it's very clear why it's allowed and we have to identify privilege and power in this conversation because that's exactly what they had. Privilege being the white privilege that presented itself not being shot down right away. Um, When we look at some of the indigenous um, protests and occupation movements, it's been heavily uh, um, responded with militarized police and and force. And, And I, for one, am interested to see how it plays out continuing as far as the accountability of who is going to be held accountable. Um, You know, there's talks about invoking the 25th Amendment upon our president, um, which to me is, is, wow, uh, fascinating to see this all play out. It's scary. The scary part is, is seeing images of white supremacy. Um, One image that I saved from my record 
for discussion points was the picture in front of the Capitol with the crowd. They put up a, um, they built a structure that symbolizes their movement, which was a noose, a rope hanging, which just frightens me, gives me chills throughout my body, knowing that that is the symbolization of what they want to portray. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, historically, it's meant to kill Black people, right? And also Indigenous people. Yeah, we were just talking about how every state, even Missoula, um, the town we're in right now, has... um, Right, right in the inception of the town, they hung four Salish natives, and so it's. And then the Dakota thirty-eight. It's not. Why would you choose a noose? Because I think it's fueled by hate. Yeah, oh. that 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 instance that Sita is talking about that happened in the city of Missoula. We're researching it more, and um, Salish Kootenai College came out with a book highlighting this instance and what it involved that. It involved four natives being hung for the same crime that a group of white settlers committed. The same crime. Four natives got hung while the white settlers never were held responsible for the same crimes, right? And so someone gets free and someone gets hung. You know, and, and, and we go back to that rushing of the capital um, there's a reason why not that many people were gunned down. How is it? It's, it's just, it blows my mind, guys, to think about how um, how protecting water and protesting a pipeline, many states have already made laws that it's an act of domestic terrorism. It's in the books. You can be charged as a domestic terrorist. How is how is it not an act of domestic terrorism to hang up a Confederate flag in in our beef? Symbol in our of inter- treason. <laughs> the one thing that we know is for sure anti-American is the Confederate flag because it was like built to be anti-American. Mm-hmm. I think um, what I think I felt I saw, you know, like it's funny because uh, they have that don't tread on me with the snake. Like they love that thing, right? Um I think I saw the beginning of the snake starting to eat its tail finally. In that, when they got in, it's not like all those people that went in know whoever who's the Republicans and who's the Democrats, right? And when they broke in, I was like, oh my God, I hope like Nancy Pelosi or like AOC or Ilan Homar get out because I know if they get caught, they're gonna get serially raped. Um they'll probably be tortured they'll probably be killed but i think what i don't know that some of the republicans have processed is if you're a republican from idaho i don't know if they know who you are like i think had they caught that person they could have done the same things to them and then you're like well i'm a i'm a like they were in such a fervor it didn't matter because the same police officers that removed barriers to allow them in, they were getting beat up too. Like I saw this ridiculous video of people in a hallway and they're just pepper spraying each other back and forth. And there's this guy, and this one kind of made me laugh. He's like, 
Are we going to go? I can't even see what's going on, man. Are we going to get in there? And I'm like, where are you going if you can't see where you're going anyway? And why are you in such a hurry to get there? Um, but I don't know that they've really processed. They weren't just coming for the perceived like us. They were coming for anyone that was in the way. And this is the beginning of that that circle of the snake eating its tail. And that's why I think it's such a great example of what colonization does. Like the examples that you've given with the, the gallows and the noose. But um, for me, it, it always has to turn at some point. And this is, this is a movement fomented by a group of people to exploit that anger and hurt that finally began to turn on itself um, because the police officers that let them in, one of those officers died. Like uh, one of the first person to die was a lady, a uh, QAnon Trump supporter lady from San Diego. She got shot and killed because she was one of the first people through. There was some collusion between police and these folks. And I've seen the video of it and I'm not a con big conspiracy person, but when I see the video evidence, I'm aware. But I think now police got to look at like, well, they did, they attacked us too. Like what side are we on? Who, who are we supporting here? Um, but I want to thank you for like checking in and being vulnerable and talking about some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, because I think uh, that's how I saw it. It was like the beginning of colonization. Um, so with that being said, since this is supposed to be about colonization, um, how do, in your own words, and I'd like to hear from both of you, how do you describe colonization to others? Like, what is that? How does it work? And like, if you were to give a synopsis of that idea to someone that's like, I don't get this and I don't understand what's, what's the big deal. What is colonization? That is a um, great, complex, dynamic, uh, explosive question that does need to get addressed and we need to wrap our heads around this. Um, I've been thinking about that and it's unpackaging 500 years um, since uh, Columbus uh, was lost. And, well, one and thing I would say, Tyler, is it's before that because oh, white yeah. people got colonized too. And like, there's a yeah. notion that white people didn't go through a colonization process. Those folks oh, yeah. got colonized just like everybody else. But I'll so let you- So we, colonization in terms of geography, absolutely. Yeah. Um, geography of, of this North American continent in regards to European colonization started in 1492. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a great, um, author John Mohawk, who was a social studies uh, um, um, uh, person, and he he studied the history of conquest, and and he rooted it all the way back to the foundings of you know the Greek and and the mythical ages of that time, and the the conquest of people of conquest of people on conquest of people and conquest of land and conquest of bodies and conquest of resources have have been continuing for for a very long time and 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 so when we look at colonization we do have to look at it um, in very different dynamic ways 
um, I present a, a perspective from my own lens, you know, which is different from yours and Suta's. And that's the great thing about it is we then um, bundle our minds together to process what it means for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, genocide comes to mind. Um, when we look at it in terms of indigenous lands here in America, uh, disposition of land is a huge part of colonization when we look at it in the, um, the settling of the West, mm-hmm. of, the, of the Western states, of how colonization paved way for where we are today in Missoula, where we are today in the Phoenix Valley. And, and so that, that, that root history that got us here today is a bloody one. And it's a painful one. And people have suffered at the expense of others and others being the United States government and the people in charge that benefit from the conquest of indigenous lands, the colonization of indigenous lands. And so, um, Yeah, I'll stop there because I could just uh, go on another 20-minute debriefer (laughs) in my own. The longhouse (laughs) conversation. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we need months and months and months. (laughs) That one's safe for the all-night smoke. Um, (laughs) So I think my my idea of colonization was really influenced at a time in my life where I was um, deep into the study of water molecules and... um, I was looking into different um, decontamination methods. And so one of the ones I stumbled across that was like a state-of-the-art type uh, pilot project type thing was the use of vibrant uh, frequencies and vibration to separate water molecules from contamination. And, And if you hit the water with a certain frequency, then the water molecules will isolate themselves from a contaminant automatically and so then that naturally went into um looking at i've always been interested in indigenous people my own um, indigenous people's relationship to uh, water and um more so water as a as a resource needed for life but also water as a a relationship with other beings we call them sweetabiks in in blackfoot the water people and um So my idea of colonization was really, I guess I was just starting to hear about that and starting to learn about it. And then I had lots of examples from my past where it was really easy for me to pick out um, instances of like direct colonization. So the reservation implementation, um, needing a permission slip from the Indian agent to leave the reservation, having hunting weapons taken away and given rations, change in food systems, like abrupt halt and change in food systems, and all of the the violence and, and transition that that takes. Like, how hard has it been for us to adopt masks, right? So, like, you take a take a native who's used to lots of space and and um and then you confine them within a fence and say you can't leave unless the indian agent gives you permission to and and if you do you'll be shot on sight um so i always have equated reservations to concentration camps and and we're still having this like parental government over us when we are full-blown independent nations and people but 
back to the water and colonization and how that in fact, uh, impacted my view is that I really start started to see colonization through through the lens of what's happening inside of us as beings that are influenced by um, energy. Um, we're influenced by words. We're influenced by our environment. So um, in environmental health sciences, we know that uh, the conditions and the quality of your environment, the zip code you live in, all of that has the ability to turn on genetic um, factors for you. So different genes are activated by your environmental conditions. So in this state of colonization, our body and our molecules are impacted by colonization because what colonization brings with it is a hierarchical system that's held in place by violence and um, hoarding of resources. And, uh, and so there's the haves and the have-nots and, and, um, and it's kept in place by these scripts and these narratives that we learn. And so colonization is in those scripts that we try to disrupt and break in our cultural humility trainings. And um, that leads to the social transformation or the decolonization that we need because what it does is it makes us critically think about the words we use to describe ourselves, the words other people are using to describe themselves, the words we use to describe our, our processes, um, the energy imbued in those terms. Is it a resistance? Are we working for something? Um, is it colonization? Is it decolonization? Or are we indigenizing? <laughs> So um, it's really more so what my water research has taught me is that colonization is a um, is a form of violence that is just like water. It has a solid, a liquid and a gas and those all impact us in different ways. And so colonization in terms of policy making and terminology and the way we treat other people who are less educated in a lower uh, like less economically um, abundant, different classes, like all of that is violence that we keep in place with the terminology that we have in, in place right now. And, and everything down to the water molecules in our body are impacted by it. That's a really long answer. I have a whole hour presentation uh, on it. <laughs> I, if I can, Rowdy, I want to bounce off of what she said, because that was great. I really enjoyed that small breakdown suit that you made me think of, of how we could go about breaking down colonization even further. And, and it's about narrative and what we've been fed, you know, perspective, because you ask a native, you know, colonization is horrible, bad, you know, because we've been, we've experienced it on the, on the short end of the stick, so to speak. And, but those have, that have benefited from colonization and have been fed a narrative of it being a beautiful, um, enlightened, romanticized thing and, and to, to uh, um, put it in even legal perspective, it was justified through manifestation in the doctrine of discovery, which I call doctrine of domination. And it's through the church system that brought European powers, and we can still see this church system in place through our democracy today, with there is no separation between 
between church and state in this country. Let's be very real. Look at our dollar bill and God we trust, right? And, and so it's justificated or justificated, justified <laughs> through the actions of manifest destiny that it was God given right to colonize unchristian lands across the world, not just here in the Americas. And one of the greatest colonizers, and so here we are now having to need to break down the difference between colonizer versus colonized, who is the colonizer versus who is being colonized. Great Britain, in my perspective, is a one of the elite power holders of colonization throughout the world. Excellent. You look at the common wealth of Great Britain, Australia, Canada, the, the, the islands, Africa, you know, they, India. It, it gives me chills, the amount of oppression and colonization of over indigenous peoples in their eyes, unchristian. And sorry if I get animated because this is deep, deep stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and um, indigenous peoples, we've been colonized to a degree over our minds, over our bodies. And so colonization over people, colonization of our lands that we depend on for health of our, of our physical and spiritual beings, and then colonization of our culture, as Suta touched on, the, the uh, um, removal of our language, removal of our clothing, our regalia, removal of how we go about being indigenous, Onondaga, um, Hopi, and when we unpackage colonization today, it's still very much alive um, because we are continuing to be assimilated at a very quick, fast, rapid pace. Um, we look at language. Our language systems are, are, are on the brink of extinction and some have lost its complete language system with elders dying out. And I think we lose a indigenous language every day in the world. You know, there's 3000 indigenous groups, I believe across the world. And, and we're losing a language uh, all the time. Um, Onondaga, I'm told there's like five language speakers left back in Onondaga. Seneca, maybe 12. And, and I had a, a cousin that said, realistically, cut that number in half. We may have, you know, half of that. Yeah. You know, in Hopi, um, it's a little, it's a little uh, more isolated. In terms of colonization, so you look at geography too. Um, back east, Onondaga, we've been impacted by colonization really since the early 1600s, late 1500s, when those first ships landed on the Eastern shoreboard um, and meeting those Eastern natives, you know, Onondaga, we were right there. And in terms of Hopi, you know, we were colonized and attempted by, from the South, from, from the Spanish crown. Mm-hmm. And, and so we started seeing the Spanish occupation of our lands in the Southwest as early as the 1500s. And of course, they never 
conquered us entirely because we are still there. And then fast forward until the 1850s, that's when Western settlement started coming into our lands, Western settlement from, from the United States um, um, perspective. And, and, and so geography, there's similarities and commonalities throughout um, uh, where, where this took place all over the world. Um, and the similarities are, are bloodshed, pain, and yes, you know, there's always those folks that say, can't you get over it? Oh, oh, I love to counter the argument of, well, if you want to decolonize, turn off your lights and quit driving your car. I love answering this question. So um, going back to my water research and and us at deeper, a sense of us at deeper beings, us as human beings at a deeper level, um, we have to, we ha colonization is in our choices now. So we have the ability to do everything kinder or decolonized. We have the ability to buy local, to help our neighbor instead of um, some industry in another country. Um, we have the ability to generate our electricity in a much kinder, earth-friendly way that's not going to cause harm and violence to the environment that it's being brought up from. We have the technology and the ability to transition every car in the world over to something friendlier. And I keep saying, and I'm going to put it on this podcast too, the first millionaire to buy Jiffy Lube or Midas out and make those into transition garages where we're still able to get our tire changed, but I can pay $5,000 to get my truck turned over to vegetable oil or put a battery in there with some regenerative braking. I'd pay $6,000 to keep the skeleton of my truck and just have it transition. And so investors out there, <laughs> idea There's makers. There's the million dollar idea. Right? Yes, please make a transition garage at the scale that, um, that's reachable and accessible for the everyday person when they need to buy a new vehicle, that we are transitioning to less violent, kinder ways to be, which are inherently decolonized activities, I think. So it's yeah, just being kind. To synthesize kind of what I've heard from you, because I've been thinking about this for a long time too, and I find the 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 more you can distill something down to an essence, the better it's understood. And so when I when I try to describe colonization, it's violence and violence to really describe violence, it's harm, spiritual harm, emotional harm, physical harm, bodily harm. Right. It's all that harm. It's marginalization. Right. It's the idea that I'm better than anything else. That's a big key component of colonization. Uh, and then the last one is um, exploitation. Right. It's I'm better. I can use I can take. I can exploit. And I think that's why indigenous folks have always done water better because water had a sentience. Water was a being. Like animals had sentience. Plants have sentience. Wind has sentience. Air has sentience. Land has sentience. We've been in relation, right? And if you're truly in relation and in balance with all things, you can't exploit anything. Right. And so when they say turn off your lights, go outside. Well, you know, like my partner and I saved up and we've got solar panels and it's expensive, but it's a big thing that you can do to start living that balance better. 
Um, and I think you've given some great examples. Some of the questions I had were how are oppressed groups hurt by colonization? I heard a lot of wonderful answers in that. Um, and you've also started, like, one of the things I'm starting to explore is, like, how the privileged folks who think they're benefiting from colonization are also hurt, too. That's why I like that analogy of the snake is beginning to eat its own tail. Um, I think white people, not all white people, of course, but, like, the white people that believe in and double down on colonization, they're really sick. Like, and it's it's a sickness of disconnection. It's a sickness of uh, I-ism. Uh, a belief in myself, a belief that, you know, if I have enough money, I'll be fine, which is not true. Um, but it's so lonely, that thinking. Uh, and I love the way that y'all come at the world. Because when you talk about script, I'm a communication person. Like for me, it's the spells that we bring things into being, either in colonization being or indigenization being. Like, how do we talk about things? You're, um, how you, how suit to how you talk about the water, like the vibration of water. Like those are the songs, right? Those are the singing. Like that's the example of like things vibrate into wholeness or they vibrate into decay. Um, and then Tyler, when you bring in the the land and the lines and you know who belongs where and like who doesn't belong in other spaces, um, I, I think it's really amazing. Like thinking of you all and what you do. Um, given our time frame of what we got with um, for this podcast, uh, I want to ask this question as the last question. Because I think when people see us as native people, they think we don't do colonization, that we that like we don't perpetuate it. And that is a sad untruth because we've been poisoned by it. Um, so I want to hear about how you've been poisoned, like hurt. But then also, where is a space where you're attempting to stop your perpetuates, per perpetuation of your colonization scripts that you've been written with? And I know that's a hard question to ask. And if you need me to go first, so you have some time to think, I'd be willing to. It's a, it's a hard question, it but I feel question. like, I feel like colonization has hurt me the most in, in talking about my crystals, <laughs> my, my crystals, my molecules, um, and the crystalline structures that they can make or not make, um, I've been hurt by words, you know, they say sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt, but words carry energy and they can alter the way your water molecules in your body um, sit and, and, and that, that affects you as an individual to your very core, I think. And so I've been, um, I've been called a S. Q-U-A, <laughs> a squaw, you can beep that out, please. Um, I'm trying to create a trend of beeping it out, but I've been hurt by by being called those words and then having to defend myself um, against that word as if my experience is not justified uh, enough in my my feelings. And and um, the way I've responded is I, I don't want to be victimized by it. Uh, and so everything I do is like a form of self-defense, essentially. Um, we've got actual self-defense. So one of our, our programs that we help communities with is um, Missing Murdered Indigenous Women and a Self-Defense Instructor. And if you need an agenda and facilitation materials, we send it to you for free. And then we also try to help the community pay for the instructor. And um, so literal self-defense. Um, and then... 
And then more of like emotional self-defense. And I think cultural humility, the more I learn from the people who participate, it just helps my own emotional maturity level and my ability to handle things and, and know that they um, are happening everywhere, which drives me and fuels me more for doing like the injustice map and creating a picture, uh, a, a national picture of what's going on and the extent of how bad it is and where it's bad at. And, and so I, I tend to not um, stay in the victim position very long when I've been oppressed. And I tend to move into an action, which is funneled through my organization in, in literal self-defense, cultural humility, emotional self-defense, um, even uh, with my fellow Indigenous Organizers Coalition here in Montana, we um, are doing, we're going to be talking about like surveillance and online self-defense. And so, you know, the best way to be prepared for anything, any risk out there or any potential oppression is to be prepared for it and be emotionally ready. And for me, that's I'm ready to defend myself physically if I have to. And it and it all, the cool thing is that it all takes situational awareness, whether it's something physical that's happening or just words being exchanged in a workplace. Like it's, it's all situational awareness and our ability to key in on that and then help our, help our friends through it ourselves. <laughs> yeah. I think um, when you talk about like uh, sexual assault, prevention i think tyler like in the future someday we need to look at what can we do to teach men how to not do these things first and foremost right because like to ask women to defend themselves doesn't really look at where the problem is the problem is with men because 99.87 percent of all violence happens men to other human and so i think um, if we can do men's rape prevention <laughs> this is the thing that's really like deeply needed uh, too. Tyler, how about you? Like, how are you affected? And then how do you also perpetuate colonial thinking sometimes too? Yeah. And impacted, I'm affected being a man. I deal um, admittedly with anger. I, I struggle with anger. Um, and and uh, I bless Suta um, for helping me work through that um, because I wasn't shown a, a really good avenue to be a polite, kind man. And I think that has to do with the intergenerational trauma that is trickled down through the colonization of our bodies. Um, because we were healthy men at one point. You know, uh, we had healthy minds, we had healthy bodies, we were healthy people. Yeah, we weren't a perfect society as indigenous nations prior to colonization. We had our own issues, but we understood behavioral health very well in regards to psychology. And we had unbelievable indigenous medicine and scientists that understood the complexities of mind, body, and spirit. You know, some of the things that scientists are barely learning today, we knew this. But through the process of 500 years of colonization here in the Americas, we've lost a lot. We lost a lot of that knowledge. We lost a lot of that understanding to be healthy, to take care of ourselves, to self-care. 
Um, we lost disconnection or we've disconnected ourselves to our communities. And it was planned. It's not necessarily our fault. So don't blame yourself for being disconnected from your community if you are a native that doesn't know your history in regards to your relations. Um, because of the federal Indian policies that still play out today in 2021, the policies are meant to assimilate us into this melting pot of America and, and really disappear any indigenousness that we hold on to. You know, you look at the boarding school process, it was meant to strip us from anything there was to be in regards to being Indian. And I wanted to touch on your synthesis of our colonization, uh, uh, what we offered Rowdy, and, and you said violence and harm. I would end that, add in there, the roots of colonization are racist at very best. They're racist ideologies of, of superiority over another people. Mm -hmm inferiority of, of thinking that that person is less and it's okay to take mm -hmm. and to rape and pilgrimage. And, you know, when we started off this conversation of looking at the capital over, you know, the overtaking of the capital, it made me think of the massacres that took place in our homelands throughout the, the centuries of the settling of our lands. You know, we've had massacre after massacre and, and I come from a, a survivor of a grandmother who survived the Clinton Sullivan massacre of 1779 that was ordered by George Washington himself. Sutta comes from culture that had its own Baker massacres, you know, they're known as the Marias massacres and the different massacres that took place in the Southwest. We have Yavabai massacres that really just did harmful, damaging things to us and are perpetuated intergenerational because of the unawareness that it even took place, even us as Native people don't know that this took place because we're not taught it. And so when we think about how this, how we're perpetuating this as people, well, we're not talking about it. And silency is, 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 is a killer. Complacency is a killer. And so it made me think like, you never go into colonization through your K through 12 curriculum. It's, it's seen as Western settlement. It's not seen as colonization. You know, you don't learn about colonization as a young um, adolescent person. You know, it takes additional education and reading. And some of the most powerful professors that taught me and elders, but also uh, some of the great writers of the day, you know, uh, have, have, have passed on this message that education is power. And so we need to be educated. I think there's a saying, you know, out there, the government is scared of an educated Indian, you know, and they better be 
because um, it's our right to become educated as best as we can. I think if you look at some of the intergenerational situations where elders knew that we had to become educated within this Western society, white society, but there's also that understanding that we need to return that knowledge and to help benefit our communities that have been faced with obstacles that are beyond imagination because of this new forced um, lifestyle that we have to live. And, and unless we can't get over this that quickly. Why? Because we look at our grandparents. My grandma is still alive today. I'm very blessed. She's 82 years old and she comes from an era of 1939. You know, and she tells me her stories of being five years old, remembering her grandma who survived Carlisle Indian School, right? And so it's not that far removed. And, and Sita, you can piggyback off this one because Blackfeet, you guys um, were pretty free. You know, you guys were pretty, you know, badass on the plains um, up until the late 1800s. Uh, and, and so the, the colonization in Blackfeet is just over 100 years removed from, from reservation settlement and, and reservation uh, um, beginnings. So, Real quick, I want to hop in just because we're coming close to the end of our colonization podcast here. Um, but I also wanted to self-disclose for me how I still practice my colonial thinking is in my practice of whiteness. People like to listen to me because I do whiteness really well. Um, and whiteness is colonial thinking and it's respectability politics and it's looking a certain way and sounding a certain way and talking a certain way. Uh, and it's hard because like I'm rewarded in society for my performance of whiteness, which is also the great pain of my life in that I'm one of those native folks that never had a connection to their people, right? You know, like I've learned about indigeneity through pan-Indianism and also study of indigenous people across the world. Um, but I think what's nice about my pain is everybody, um, I think like native people of, of North America are blessed in that they have such close connections to their peoplehood and their identities. Like I think of the Maori people in New Zealand, they still have those systems. I think of the Aboriginal people in um, uh, Australia, there's some of the few folks that still have some of those connections. Um, but the pain is we're, we're disconnected from our indigeneity. And I think white people want to be Indian so bad because they've lost their connection to their own indigeneity. And I'm like, Gaelic people, Gallic people, those were the indigenous Druidic people that had those things. Like, go research those folks. Don't be Indian. You can't be Indian. Like, go be you. Like, and the people that you once came from. Um, but that's why I wanted to have you here because your indigenous vision, and this is kind of like what you're hoping to bring to the world. So I'd like to, to get from you like contact information, like how could they follow you, uh, both your podcast, your um, 501c3 and connect and help with some of those things. Thank you so much, Rowdy. Um, please follow us on Facebook at Indigenous Vision, uh, on Instagram at Hello IV Music on soundcloud forward slash indigenous vision our website is indigenousvision.org you can forward any questions embarrassing questions i answer all questions i love them at um for my ask an indian podcast at info at indigenousvision.org 
Um, no question is a silly question. If it is, I'll laugh. Thank you. Um, but I, Rowdy, you said something that I want to just follow up on, and I'm losing it. Um, <laughs> so you, oh, okay, we'll save it for another one. Okay. I, well, maybe, you, maybe you'll get something. I have a quick closing, too, uh, um, Rowdy and, and Siti may think. Um, one of the things that we could all do, and and um, what we offer at Indigenous Vision is cultural humility trainings. Our next one is January 26th. Please sign up. It's in the afternoon from two to four. You can learn more at indigenousvision.org. And through, through culture humility, we're able to move towards a path of equity and social transformation. And a lot of it is unpacking what we just discussed. And so, um, Please follow us. Another cool podcast that Suta and Melissa will be doing here shortly is, is piggybacking what you just said, Rowdy. Um, the topic is going to be plastic Indianism mm -hmm. and how there's a lot of people playing Indian mm -hmm. and, and the damaging aspects of playing Indian. Um, and so uh, uh, please tune in to Melissa and Suta. They're going to have a good old time identifying the, the, the harmful, harmful yet humoristic uh yeah. aspects of this well and don't worry because this is just podcast one of two right this was really the problem and we're going to dive into indigeneity indigenization into our next podcast but i only upload like a certain amount of time at a time because i think like people can digest those in that way so i want to thank both suta and tyler uh for being here today if you want to get a hold of me uh you can do it at uh inclusive activism at cox.net um if you want to get a hold of tyler and uh suta if you go on to indigenous indigenousvision.org yeah um there's contact information to get a hold of them hire them help them uh help them and spread indigeneity in all spaces these are wonderful indigenous indigenous geniuses i can't remember yeah you got it i've seen That's it written what it was. And I'm saying it <laughs> That's what it was before we leave, guys. Uh, Rowdy, you brought up how everybody is indigenous from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And my water research was so amazing when I got into um, the European pagan cultures before they were stomped out by colonization. And so every culture, Scottish, mm -hmm. Irish, um, there's so many, like I swear indigenous people had to have known each other because we have the same water spirits. How do we have the same water spirits around the world? And so yeah. we have more in common and I don't think anyone needs to be stealing anybody's culture because it's all rooted back in who we are as individuals so and we need them to know their indigeneity because like us comparing and talking about that indigeneity is going to be the thing that heals this world unless it unless the earth decides she doesn't want to play with us anymore like we're in a decision point and so i think we need to learn and speak that indigeneity so next podcast we're going to talk about indigeneity specifically healing helping becoming more whole. So with that, thank you for listening. Thank you for your eyes or your ears or however you tuned into this. And this is just part one of two with Tyler and Suta. Thank you so much for being here and tuning in with us today.